everybody, and welcome back to Second Sunday Books. I'm Libby Hellman. I'm coming to you from the windy city of Chicago, although my guest is in the windy British Isles, and my guest is author Zoe Sharp. A lot of you already know her, but if you don't know her, this is going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about her and her books. Uh, Zoe is the author of 13, am I right? 13? Uh, yep, number 13 just came out um, last month. Right, and it's called Bad Turn. She has a series with a, uh, you know, I hate to say this because it sounds so trite, but for, for lack of a better word, kick-ass heroine named Charlie Fox who used to be in the British military and is now out of the military doing what is called in Britain close protection and what is called over here bodyguarding. Of course, she doesn't just bodyguard. She does martial arts. She's pretty good with a, she's excellent with a, a gun or rifle. Uh, she knows her way around um, knives and she has holds that she can demonstrate, that she often demonstrates at conferences that are amazing on how to disable an enemy. Anyway, and with that, welcome, Zoe. I don't want to get on your bad side. <laughs> never, never, never. We've been, uh, we've been friends for a long time, and I'm delighted to have you back. And I oh, love pleasure to be here. Yes, I loved Bad Turn, and I would love you to tell our listeners uh, all about it. So go ahead. Right. Well, this was, um, as you said, the 13th outing for Charlie Fox. And um, you have to decide when you first start writing a, a series character whether you're going to keep that character unchanging all the way through the books or whether you're going to have her develop and grow and learn. And, and there are advantages and disadvantages to both. I mean, it, it would be great keeping her static because it doesn't matter what order people um, pick up the books. Uh, but I always decided for my own sort of uh, interest as much as anything else that I would have her keep developing and keep taking these journeys. And so I knew at some point, although she was working in close protection, she's working for a very prestigious agency in New York. Um, she's traveling all over the world. I knew at some point, you know, she was probably going to have to go out on her own. And for this one, I, I wanted to... Because uh, I, I like to, I like to give her challenges. So mm -hmm. they they say you should put your character up a tree and throw rocks at them. So I decided mm -hmm. the rocks would come in the form of she's lose, she loses her job, um, and that also therefore comes with an apartment. So she loses her home. Um, she her gun licenses are rescinded because they're all tied up with her work, and uh, then she starts getting hints from. Um, a guy she's encountered before in Homeland Security that uh, she may well not be welcome in the United States anymore. So that puts her in a fairly tricky position mm -hmm. and hence why she um, starts working for a rather shady arms dealer mm -hmm. uh, looking after his wife. So that was the, the kind of the setup to the book. Mm -hmm. 
And um, during the process of looking after his wife, all sorts of things happen. And it's one of those um, thrillers that you, you really can't put down because what you do so well is just when we think uh, Charlie has overcome an obstacle, another obstacle, often worse than the one that came before, faces her, which she needs to uh, take care of. And um, it, was a, it was a great read. I really enjoyed it. You introduced. Oh, thank you very much. You in, you uh, introduced some new characters. Um, let's talk just a little bit about the backstory. Charlie had a had a boyfriend named Sean Meyer, who is now what? Is he in a coma now? Uh, no, no, he uh, he recovered from that. He was shot in one of the, the earlier books and, and he spent, uh, I think, an entire book completely out of action. Um, but uh, their relationship has always been somewhat difficult and conflicted. And uh, at the end of the, the previous book, Fox Hunter, um, they have parted company. Now, this has caused some... Uh, some controversy with my uh, my readers, some of whom would really like her to get back together with Sean, and some of whom say, "Thank goodness we've seen the back of him." So you know, he he might come back, he might not. I'm just you know, I like to let these things settle for a book or so, and then and then revisit them. So I'll, I'll see what happens there. Yeah. But it was great fun introducing some some new characters into this book, and and I set myself. A challenge as a writer because quite a few of the characters in the book are taken from people who either uh, I, I wanted to include because they bid to be characters in auctions and I also ran a competition among my email uh, subscriber list uh, to be characters in the book and one of them certainly uh, has turned into a, a character that people keep saying we want to see more of, of uh, the bodyguard shade um, I was just going to get to Shade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was such fun. I had no idea that's how he was going to turn out because I don't do long, involved character biographies before I start writing a book. So when the first you time just... they walk onto the page is the first time I meet them. Oh, that's great. You know, I you've just now totally precluded two of my questions, but I'm going to ask them. Was he your favorite character in the book to write? Uh, well, apart from Charlie, yeah. um, yes, I did. I did have a lot of fun with uh, with Shade, but they're they're all interesting. I mean, I brought back the Homeland Security guy who first appeared, I think, in in God, was it book eight, mm -hmm. um, a book called Fourth Day, uh, and actually he he appeared at the end of book seven as well, Third Strike. And Epps, Conrad Epps, is right. Is I was going to ask you about him character. too. And I always enjoy writing him because he's, he's um, yes, hidden shallows, I think, sometimes at. But, right. uh, so so, so Sh Shade is actually the bodyguard of the arms dealer that, um, I was going to say Zoe, but Charlie gets involved with, just so our listeners know who this character is. And we don't know yeah. whether he likes Charlie. We, we, we know that he respects her. I mean, that one scene where... He's, he was admiring her shooting skills, was pretty cool. Um, and there was some line you put in there that I actually giggled at. But, um, oh, how could I giggle in a Charlie Fox thriller? But I didn't. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, 
you never know where Shade's coming from, whether he's going to be an ally or an enemy of Charlie's. So uh, the fact that he may reappear in a book tells you that he couldn't have been that bad an enemy because Char Charlie would have just taken him out. Uh, <laughs> but there is, I, I did want to ask you about Conrad Epps. Um, without any spoilers, he's a character. That, now, I, I know you set up the book where Charlie has nothing going for her. Um, all of the things that she's counted on have been taken away from her. But did this guy know that? Um, did she? Did he know that she was going to be in desperate straits prior to the beginning of the book? Or was that part of his, um, you know, strategy to get her to a point where um, he might have power over her? Well, I think he's certainly not above taking taking advantage of any situation that uh, that is put in front of him, and certainly it's very uh, it's very good timing uh, from his perspective that Charlie just happens to be in a situation where he can uh, he he has a hold over her mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of the book. So um, that always makes life interesting because any situation your characters can just walk away from, well, the stakes are not high enough. They, you have to put them in a, in a situation, uh, as you do yourself with, with your own novels, um, where they, they can't just say, okay, I've, I've had enough of this. I'm going to stop right. because it's, it's never as simple as that. Right. <laughs> right. And Conrad Epps, <clears throat> again, for our listeners, pardon me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, uh, someone with whom uh, Charlie ends up having to work, and that's all I'm going to say in um, in this project that she's doing. All right, tell it, you know, and th my other question, which you um, already answered, but I'd, I'd kind of like to go in a little bit more in depth is, uh, you said you don't do backstories for your characters, but my question was, did you have some idea of where Eric Kincaid, who is the um, arms dealer, and his wife Helena came from? Did you know, for example, when you started that Kincaid was the son-in-law of, of uh, Helena's father, who is the uh, person who actually was the original arms dealer, I mean, or did those just things connect as you were writing? No, no, I knew, I knew the backstory of the characters in, in so much as how they fitted into the story. Uh, but what I don't tend to plan in advance is actually how those people are going to uh, speak or react act or, or what kind of sense of humor they've got and I know some people who do great long you know uh, character um, um, dissections almost of the, the characters before they start writing a book and I always find that people surprise me on the page right. they, they arrive and the way they behave and react uh, sometimes you know what you want them to do in the story and they simply won't do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a complete misnomer that we have control over our characters. I think it's absolutely the opposite way around. Mm -hmm. Well, you and then um, in addition to um, Helena and um, Eric, uh, Charlie comes up against her former boss, Parker, and that was a very interesting interlude. 
And uh, again, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but did you know that was going to happen or was that one of those surprises? Uh, I had a suspicion that it might. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And also, uh, I think, yeah, I think Charlie may well come to see this as a little bit of an error on her part. Mm. Um, Really? Oh, I don't, I didn't think so at the time. (laughs) Well, well it may not, may not come up in the next book, but I think the one after that, because I'm, I sort of I, I like to plan, you know, these these overarching um, sort of uh, things going on in the background of the books that mm-hmm. will will resurface at some point. Right. Um, there's nothing worse than planting a huge piece of information only to use it in that book, and right. then you never hear it again. Right. So, uh, I, you know, I like to, to just keep these, these things rolling along in the background sometimes. It, it's a, a counterbalancing act with trying to make each book self-contained so it will stand alone and you don't have to have read the previous ones. Um, but it's nice for the readers who have uh, followed the, the, the story to put things in that they will recognise. Mm-hmm. You know, for the longest time, and it really wasn't until the very end, um, and this isn't a criticism, I just, it was just an, it's just an observation. The international arms dealing, which everyone is concerned about, almost seemed like a MacGuffin uh, to me. I mean, everyone was trying to control it or change it or uh, do something different with it um, and was hunting for the person with the most control over it. But the inherent value of it wasn't specifically uh, outlined until the very end. Was that... Was well, that in, in, go ahead. In some ways, that, that was deliberate. And I also, I, I worried a little bit that uh, I connected the arms dealing, particularly with the situation in Syria. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that all really blew up. Uh, only recently, when you consider that I started plotting and writing this book in 2018, mm-hmm. um, you know that I was looking for much further ahead and thinking, will, will this still be relevant by the time the book comes out? And it, it became almost even more relevant, right? Uh, because of the, the the situation with who was prepared to back. Um, the rebels in Syria and, and who was acting against them. And so that, that actually got to be a very interesting um, part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. It was. I did think of it. For, for a while, um, I was thinking that, you know, the, everything, all the action that, that was happening um, was more important. Well, it was more important than the actual goal. Was often which, uh, of course, Alfred Hitchcock liked to talk about that, that uh, MacGuffin. Well, I'm glad to see that it was, um, it was something that you were thinking about. Um, are we going to see Helena or Eric again in the future? Uh, I wouldn't really count. I mean, th- those two as well were, were real people. Um, Helena was uh, one of, of my uh, email subscribers. Um, and she she entered. I, I did a little a drawing for um, you know who would like to be characters in the book, and I said I've got one female character and one male character. 
and um, the lady's name was Helen Hall, spelt uh, H-O-A-R-E, uh, and she said it actually means uh, white-haired, as in hoarfrost. Right. Um, and uh, she said, you may have a little difficulty getting this name into the story, but I managed to, to get it in as her, you know, as her maiden name. Right. So, so that was okay, and we made, I made a, and I, I made a little sort of, not a little bit of a joke about it, but I did send her that bit and say, you know, are you okay with me doing this? And she said, oh, yes, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and Eric Kincaid, I have gone and stayed with a friend in New York who lives in an apartment building. And though it's only one-bedroom uh, apartments, uh, she has lots of friends in the building. And uh, she said, there's always somebody away. So there's always an empty apartment. And they give me the keys. And if anybody comes in to town and they want to stay. So I have stayed in the apartment belonging to Eric Kincaid, I think two or three times now, and have never actually met the gentleman. So because he's always been away. So I said, as a thank you, I would I would put him in the in the story. So he's another real person that is well, actually yeah, that sounds like the, uh, an interesting premise for a story or at least a it short does story. rather, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting. So let me ask you, as you know, you've you've written 13 Charlie Fox books. You've li- written, I think, three or four standalone novels that have elements of crime fiction. What? do you feel is your biggest strength as a crime writer? Uh, the fact I keep going. Um, <laughs> yep, that is I have always, I have always thought, and this is possibly not going to be a popular thing to say, that there are more persistent writers published than there are talented writers mm-hmm. published because this is such an industry of knockbacks. It, mm-hmm. it can be a very disheartening business to be in, and you need such an enormous amount of um, dedication in order to get from line one, page one, to the end, right. um, that I can quite understand how people fall at the wayside. So being able to keep telling the stories and keeping the interest, hopefully for the reader, uh, but also for my own benefit, um, and I love playing with preconceptions when I'm when I'm writing the stories. I'm doing a um, a book at the moment which was was not intended to be a series. I wrote a standalone that came out last year called Dancing on the Grave, that was set uh, mm-hmm. in the English Lake District, and it was intended to be a standalone. But all the reviews and and everything that I got for the book said we do hope this is the start of a new series. So I finally listened to that, and I'm currently writing the second installment. She's the photographer, right? She's a photographer and crime scene investigator, um, and she sort of partners up with a young uh, detective constable, which is the lowest detective rank um, in the UK police, because I feel all sort of chief inspectors and everything that you, you get in crime fiction, uh, they would spend far more time on administration uh, and organising rotors and things and attending conferences than they would actually out in the field. Mm-hmm. So I wanted somebody who was absolutely at ground level. Um, and the two sides of the investigation Uh, were what interested me, but also, as I found in the first book, getting inside the head of the perpetrator uh, and another uh, important character was as interesting Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. as looking at what happened over the investigation. And I'm doing that again in, in this story, um, which is set at the, the Big Appleby Horse Fair, uh, which takes place every year in, in the Lake District. And it's the largest gypsy and traveller gathering in Europe. Hmm. Uh, and it happens over over the course of a week in in early June, so uh, that's been fascinating because there's a lot of uh, bias against the gypsies, and you know just working out how that those people integrate into that story is is very very interesting to me. It's not the effect that. Um, uh, people have on on crimes. It's the effect that crimes have on people. Um, it's uh, it's a very interesting uh, thing to explore. Speaking of standalones, why did you feel the need to write standalone novels outside the Charlie Fox series? I mean, you do write short stories, which which is also a great way to kind of refresh your palette between series, but. Um, why four or five uh, standalone novels? Um, there are always ideas that won't fit with Charlie Fox, and particularly because I've always written that series in first person. Um, you only get to see what's happening from inside Charlie's head, which when you're writing a thriller, sometimes it's really nice to be able to hop into the viewpoint of other characters in order to... Uh, you know, progress the plot by seeing it from lots of different angles. And it, it has been fascinating, you know, inhabiting the heads of, of some very different people mm-hmm. and trying to work out what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Because as far as they're concerned, um, it's the old cliche to say that all the villains are the hero of their own story. But they have to have, a, they can't just be, um, you know, megalomaniac evil geniuses. They have to have some real compelling reason for doing what they're doing, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it, that's the, the fun of it. And it is, it's a refresher yeah. between yeah, yeah. writing the Charlie Fox books. I come back to them and think, oh, yes, this is, I, you know, yeah, this is very familiar. Yes, you come I, back. I enjoy and this. Your best friend, you know, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. back here. I'm back. This is good. Um, would you ever consider writing out of a genre? And if you would, what genre would you write? Well, I've been um, playing around with a, a supernatural thriller for so long, it's, it's embarrassing to think about. Uh, and in fact, I, was, I, I read it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's sort of about a supernatural assassin. Right, right, right. Um, and uh, in fact, with a friend of mine, we're, we're actually looking at turning that into a, um, a screenplay. Mm. So that's that's still still ongoing, and uh, when I've finished all oh, about the next three books I've got <laughs> on on the uh, on the in the pipeline at the moment, I may well finally get round to doing the last edit on that to 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 do it as a novel. Um, but uh, okay. yes, it's been rather a long time in the gestation period. So I've asked you what you think your strength is as a writer. What would you say? your, uh, not weakness, but uh, something about your writing that you would like to improve? Uh, oh, you can always improve all of it. The day you think that's, you know, I'm, I'm at the top of my game and there is nothing I can do to improve is probably the day you should give up. Right. Uh, to me, this is, a, this is a craft rather than a, an art. 
and I am always looking to improve the craft of what okay, I do. What specifically it's, would you like to improve? Um, that's a good question. If I knew that, I would probably already be working on it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, just the whole uh, polish of the prose, and um, uh, I. I think just just there is every area that I would like to try and be be better all the time. Um, but being told by people that they can't put the books down is always, you know, a huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always get a huge buzz out of that. Um, I knew impregnating the covers with super glue would, would come into its own at some point. Um, and uh, yes, costing people a night's sleep. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there are some tropes in thrillers and, and mysteries that people say you really cannot deal with. I mean, I when I started in this business, it was you cannot kill a child or a pet. And I think those are gone by the wayside now. But are there any lines that you would not cross when you are writing a thriller? Uh, I'm very against putting elements in that are just there for titillation. Um, You know, you can write violence that's graphic if it's required by the story, but if it's not, then it just becomes gore porn. It just becomes gratuitous and unnecessary. And the same with with any um, elements like that. I don't like reading you know, graphic violence against women when, you know, it would be just as effective. I always mention when I'm talking to people who are, um, you know, who are uh, would-be writers about the shower scene in Psycho because it's a really memorable and affecting scene and quite shocking, but you never see her actually get stabbed on camera. Mm-hmm. You see the knife, you see the 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 coloured water going down the plug hole. It's actually chocolate sauce they use because it shows up better in black mm-hmm. and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see the shower curtain, and but you never see her actually get stabbed. Mm-hmm. And that works so much better, right. I think, than showing all this amazing blood spatter and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I try and do as much as I can... Um, of the same thing in writing that, that the reader fills in the blanks and it makes it more shocking inside their own head rather than from what's actually on the page. Okay. What, um, are there? I know that you've been um, very fortunate to um, have some interest in Charlie by other formats of of, uh, I, I'm trying to get around the subsidiary rights. Can you talk about that a little bit? Are you free to talk about it? Uh, I can't. I can't say too much, but uh, I am in I'm in negotiations at the moment with um, uh, a production company, yes. uh, which we hope to take Charlie to the screen. So um, yes, great. that is that is ongoing at the moment. That's great. Um, and what are yeah. you? Um, what are you? Very excited. Uh, yeah, what are you writing now? Uh, I'm doing this uh, follow-up book to Dancing on the Grave, um, which hopefully will be out uh, about April next year. 
um, and I'm thoroughly enjoying that. I've already got the the bones of the outline for the next Charlie Fox book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing another collaboration with John Lawton, um, oh, nice. set in the 1970s. Um, so yeah, it's it's all very interesting at the moment. Oh, good. That's great. Um, by the way, I love the twist at the end of the story and the chateau that they stayed in in France that Helena and was that a place that we've happened to know together? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was probably one I visited on the drive back because, of course, um, Libby and I, uh, I should explain for your, for your listeners, Libby and I went on a sort of writing retreat in France last year, didn't we? We drove down. Uh, through through France, I picked her up from the UK, and we drove down through France uh, and had a, a wonderful time, sort of sitting in a uh, a beautiful house um, in the the Midi Pyrenees district, Aveyron, uh, um, uh, sitting writing and then going and and visiting various places to uh, to uh, purely for research purposes, obviously. Of course, um, and we both got. Loads of writing done. We must do it again. Yes. Uh, are you kidding? I've been thinking, you know, I'm trying to finish. I always I always fall apart towards the end of the book, and I'm in my fall apart stage, and you saved me from it last summer because <laughs> with high crimes, you know, just plug yes. along, plug along. Yeah. And, and I got there, but, um, you know, <laughs> I need to go to France again <laughs> very soon. Can we meet next week? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be great, wouldn't it? Get away from this uh, cold weather yeah. somewhere in the south of France. Yeah. Yes, I always find the the sort of towards the the between the half and three quarter mark is the is the difficult stage for me of a book. Um, I start to to hit all sorts of doubts and and mm-hmm. fears with the, with the story at that point. Um, and if I can get past that, then normally the end of it is uh, is not too bad. But uh, everybody right. has a, di- a different part that is right. there. Well, I'm in the home stretch, and uh, someone asked me, "Well, well, what's the crisis going to be?" I said, "The whole book is a crisis. <laughs> what are you talking about?" And I'm like, uh, "Well, then he said, well, what about the climax?" And I'm like, "Well, I've already had three. <laughs> well, you know. Anyway, it's we'll talk about that some other time." <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, we are running out of time. Actually, it's exactly on time for us to say say it's been a pleasure. It's been really wonderful to talk to you again about Bad Turn. And for everyone who has not read it, I highly recommend it. You can find it available pretty much anywhere and everywhere that ebooks and print books are sold. And are you going to be do, doing an audiobook? Uh, hopefully, yes. Great. Um, I don't have any dates for that yet, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly in the planning stage. Right. Oh, before I forget, what is your website so people can learn more about you and your books? Uh, they can find me at zoesharp.com, and I'm also at uh, Twitter at authorzoesharp, and Facebook and Instagram and all the all the usual places. All the usual suspects, as we say. Yeah. Absolutely suspects, yes. Yeah, abs- okay, well, thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope we can do it again soon. And I just would like to remind our listeners that Second Sunday Books 
is a copyrighted, trademarked podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I will be back again in January of 2020, and it's hard to believe that we're almost there. And I hope everyone has a happy holiday and a great new year. See you next time.